Welcome to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, brought to you by Present Truth Ministry, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. Okay, let's pray. Let's get into the Word today. Father, we thank you because I'm anointed to teach. Thank you because you're stirring our heart in the area of this prophetic word. And we pray, Father God, that as we get into your word, that the anointing of God will rest upon your word and it will stir our hearts in the right direction. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. And I started this morning talking about, do not be ashamed of your consecration. Do not be ashamed of your consecration. And uh, I began to deal with this this morning using the story of the Rechabite. So you're going to get the part one of the message and you just follow from there. I'll do a brief summary and then I get into what I want to talk about today. Go to Jeremiah chapter 35. Jeremiah chapter 35. And God was using the story of a group of people called the Rechabite as a foundation to teach the children of Israel something. In Jeremiah chapter 35 verse 1, it says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, the days of Joachim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of Rechabites, speak to them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Verse 3, Then I took Jazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habizaniah, his brothers, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igda, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princess, among the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. Then I set before the sons of the house of Rechabite bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink wine. Verse 6, but they said, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall not drink no wine, you nor your sons, forever. You shall not build a house, sow a seed, plant a vineyard, nor give any of these. But all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land which you are sojourners. Verse 8. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in order that he charged us to drink no wine in all our days. We, our wives, our sons, our daughters, not to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have vineyard, field, or sea. But we have but we have dwelled in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us. But it came to pass uh, when Nebuchadnezzar that's verse eleven, go to verse twelve. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Will you not receive instruction to obey my words, says the Lord? The words of Jenodab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. I have also sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them to you, saying, turn not everyone from his evil way. Amend your ways and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers. But you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. Surely the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their fathers which he commanded them. 
but this people has not obeyed me. Now, if you read on to the end of the chapter, God was trying to use the children of the Rechabites to teach the children of Israel a powerful lesson. This, this, these children of the Rechabites, their fathers gave them certain instruction. Earthly father says, listen, don't drink wine, don't do this, don't sow, don't do this, don't do this. And God set up the prophets. He says, bring them to the house of God, to the temple, and tempt them. Give them wine to drink. And the man set wine before them. And you know what he said? He said, no, our father told us not to do this, and we're not going to do it. They were not ashamed of the instructions of their father. And God had to use them as an example to his own people. You know, today we live in a day and an age where it is almost like a tin of shame to become a Christian. And unconsciously, we are becoming ashamed of the fact that we are believers. You know, if, if you're a young girl and somebody asks you right now, that do, do, do you have a boyfriend in your life? You know, if you say no, you will look strange. You will, you will look like ah. If you are a man and they ask you, do you have a girlfriend? And you say, no. You look say, are you alright? Is everything okay? You will look strange. Because we have now brought our society to the place where living in sin is what makes you look in vogue. And if we are not careful as believers, we will allow the sons of wickedness to define what right living is. And that is why we have to rise up and be that generation that is not ashamed of the fact that we are obeying the commands of Jesus. I was telling them this morning in our morning service. And I said, listen, the honest truth about it is that if you, if you, if you ask young people today, why are they scared of marriage? The number one thing that everybody will mention is that they are afraid of marrying someone who will cheat. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's the fear every girl has. And how did we come to this point in our society? It's because gradually through our movies, through our stories, through the things we put out there, we have created a narrative that it is okay not to be faithful to your wife. And shockingly, even in the church, God is calling us to a righteous standard. Praise the name of the Lord. That we are not ashamed. I mean, we can't even talk about lying now. You know, lying is almost common. It's nothing to lie. It's just, we don't even can't lie a sin anymore. Like, uh, it's a small lie he told now. It's not that he was lying like that. It's just small lie. And we are okay with it. Today, someone cannot give you his word and you will trust it. Even if the person signs document with lawyer, uses blood, they will still break it. People can't keep their words anymore. And this is a message from the pulpit to the pew. Today when you look at ministers, what's the first thing that comes into your mind is that it's like doing ministry like business. Praise the name of the Lord. Want to grab as much as you can from the people. Want to take as much as you can from the people. The fear of God is almost non-existent anymore in our churches. Because they look at this record by one instruction their father gave to them, they kept it. How do we allow ourselves to be moved constantly by the world? How we allow ourselves to be shifted constantly by the world? 
How we allow the world to define what is true. You know, gradually we are living in a day and an age where it is the world detecting to us how what a successful man is. The words of scripture do not matter to us anymore. I sit every day with single people who want to get married. And the struggle they have is even people in church who want to have sex with them before they get married. And it's, it's almost okay. It's almost Right now, we are not even challenging ourselves to righteousness. We are comparing iniquity with iniquity. So that one, he hasn't seen so much. It's just two boyfriends he has. He's I have five. You know, it's almost like we are we are we are judging ourselves with who has done much evil. You know, do you, do you realize that Paul says that certain things should not be mentioned amongst us? That should not be mentioned. That's when we when we talk about believers, they should not become the subject of our conversation. Glory to the name of the Lord. You see. This is not a message of condemnation. Rather, it's a message of a call to what? To consecration. Do your friends know that you are a believer? We have friends today that are pushing us to iniquity. Dragging us to unrighteousness. And we are almost ashamed to say we are Christians. Because, on, on, listen, I, I feel this in my heart. That deep down within us, we actually feel that God will not come true for us. We actually feel that God will not be able to provide for us. We actually feel that if we live righteously, things might not go well. And it is that it is that mindset that have even destroyed our nation. Every one of us in this country, deep down in our mind, we carry a mindset that if we are not corrupt, things will not work well. Am I right? Are you still following me? We need to hold ourselves to the standards of the scripture. Tell your neighbor, you need to hold yourself. Say it loud and clear. Say, you need to hold yourself to the standards of the scriptures. Praise God. Not the standard of our friends. Go to Daniel chapter 6. In Daniel chapter 6 and verse 1 to 10, if you read that story, they talked about how they were trying to tempt Daniel. And in verse 10, you know, they, they, they were able to make the king to release a decree and say, listen, nobody should pray. Nobody should pray. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. But look at verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, which is with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. They told Daniel, they said, you cannot pray before your God. They made it into a law. Daniel knew that praying could make him lose his job. Daniel knew that praying could, could in, in those days, you couldn't go against the king. But what did Daniel do? Daniel was not ashamed of his consecration. He knelt before God and prayed three times a day as he usually would pray. If a decree was released in our land today that don't go to church, how many of you will still come to church? That's when you start building exigencies. You know, actually, the true church is in your heart. Look at the consecration. Look at the children. 
the, the three Hebrew children, how they proposed in their heart that they were not going to defile themselves with the king's meat. They refused to partake of the king's meat. They were not ashamed of their consecration. They were not ashamed of the fact that they were Jews. They were not ashamed of the fact that, you know, they were, they were children of God and they couldn't do something. Saints, there are certain things in your life you should not do. There are certain things you should say, listen, I'm a believer. I can't do this. It doesn't matter the rewards you will get. It doesn't matter the money that will come. We need to once again, listen, we must not make Christianity an endangered religion, in quotes. Permit me to use the word religion. Walk through our streets today. Walk through our streets. Walk, walk, through, walk through our community and see how believers are acting. Acting contrary to the word. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Come and tell your neighbor to not be ashamed of your consecration. In Genesis 39 verse 7, Joseph had the opportunity to sleep with Potiphar's wife. But he refused to take that. He was not ashamed of his devotion. He was not ashamed of his consecration to God. Even though Potiphar's was not there, he made up his mind to do the right thing. We must make up our mind. Listen, we must make up our mind to do the right thing. Even when no one is looking. We must make up our mind to do the right thing. Even if it looks like no one is going to catch us. We must make up our mind to do the right thing. Even if it looks like no one is going to see what we're doing. Listen, we must have a sense of the fact that we are accountable to God. We mustn't just live our lives because our parents are not there. Some of us here are young students. Left, left home, came to the university. Nobody is there. Your pastor is not there. We don't know what you're doing in school. But listen, your, your people around you must be able to know that this is a believer. People around you must be able to know that this is a Christian. People around you must be able to know that, oh, for these other girls, you can try this. But for this one, it's a no-go area. We must hold firm our consecration. Listen, we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. God is counting on us to turn many to righteousness. We cannot turn people to righteousness if we live in unrighteousness. Praise the name of the Lord. Are you still here? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Go to Matthew chapter 26. I want to show you something. Not ashamed of our devotion. Not ashamed of our consecration to God. We make up our mind that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we hold on to this. We hold on to the faith. We contend for the faith that was earnestly given to us. We do not allow the world to draw the narrative of the church. We do not allow the sons of wickedness to tell us how we should serve our God. We, we, we make up our mind that we're going to be radically committed to the cause of Christ. Praise the name of the Lord. And go all the way and act on God's word and live right. Praise the name of the Lord. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 7. Let's read. A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant saying, why this waste? For this pregnant oil might have been sold for much and might have been given to the poor. But Jesus was aware of it. He said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. I want you to see something about this woman. This woman took, you know, the scripture records that it was worth a year's wages of salary. Right? 
She took it and she broke it on the feet of Jesus. Imagine if you were to do that today. People are going to call you a fool. Imagine you take your one year salary and you give it to the church. Ah, man, it's unheard of. It's unheard of. What kind of consecration is that? In fact, your friends are going to tell you, oh, you are, ah, they have deceived you. You you know, do we have this radical commitment to the curse of Christ? I was sharing with some of my leaders the other day about the scripture. You know, in the book of Acts, 40 men got together and they said, we will not eat, we will not drink until we kill Paul. Look at the commitments. They said, we will not drink, we will not eat until we kill Paul. They, they, they form a team for themselves give themselves a vision and say we will not eat until this man is dead you know what happened the apostles had to whisk Paul away from the city because they would do it they didn't even pray prayer protection those guys were so committed Paul had to take off are we committed to a cause have we found something in the gospel to live for you know, you know growing up A lot of people used to tell me this, like, oh, you know, you are carrying the church on your head. You are carrying the church on your head. You are carrying the church on your head. You know, today you have to find people to say that to. In our days, it was opposite. You had more people to say it to. In fact, some of us were discouraged from doing so much in church. Because we're always there to do something. Today, it's difficult. Have we found a cause to be committed to? Do we think that this gospel is what our lives? Do we think this gospel is what our finance? Do we think the gospel is what our time? You know, like I've told you here before, many times when I travel and people say, you know, why are you trying? You know, somehow I look at it and I'm like, what can I do at this stage of my life to do more for God? I'm not thinking of relenting. I'm not thinking of relaxing. There are not many people who teach the way I teach. There are not many people. There are not many people who are consecrated to the cause of the gospel like the way I am. There are not many. Are you following what I'm saying? So when the door opens, it's like, oh, let me go to as many places as I can go to. To the ends of the earth. Until the gospel is preached. It is not, you see, it is... (laughs) You know, sometimes if you have traveled the way I travel, you realize that it is not enjoyment. Sometimes I'm at the airport waiting for hours. Three hours I'm at the airport waiting to catch the next flight. Three hours. Just waiting. Get there. I'm teaching. Morning, evening, teaching. Laying hands on the sick, praying, doing stuff. Get back. I have to get to all the churches. I have to do, you know, when you look at it, you say, ah, but it's like I'm not doing enough. Every year, I deepen my resolve to go further, to go more. Because God is counting on us. Glory to God. You know, even being a pastor today is almost a thing of a shame. When you sit in the plane and they ask you, what do you do? This one says, I work in Shell. What do you do? I'm a consultant. What do you do? I work with PwC. He say, what do you do? I pastor. They say, ah, now then. The thieves. It's not, it's not something that one is proud of. In our day and age, because of all kinds of things. 
But again, Paul says, I lay hold on that. We are pressing towards something. It's a mark of a high of an upward calling. We have resolved and made up our mind that we are consecrated to this cause for the rest of our lives, and we're not ashamed of it. It doesn't matter how Buster dies, the ministry of the pastor is. We will not be ashamed to say God has chosen us for this cause. We are not ashamed of our consecration. And that is why today you see some pastors, they'll say, oh, they are authors, we are, we are consultants, we are human resource management, we are life developers, we are life coaches. Why? All of those is to make sure that the world does not see you as a pastor who is depending on people's tithes and offerings. Who cares? Who cares? If the Lord has said those who preach the gospel should live by the gospel, I don't care what your theology is, that's God's word. Are you following what I'm saying? We cannot be too proud to say well, we don't want to depend on people. Listen, God has designed it that you are dependent on people. He says when you go and preach, he says whatever they set before you, he said that's what you should eat. Whatever. The disciples were walking before God called them. They were fishermen. They were fishermen. They were not lazy. Some of them, he called them from walking in their father's company. And he says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Later on, he told them, go and preach the gospel. And whatever the person deems fit and gives to you, that's what you will eat. He, he, he brought them from a state of self-dependency to Christ's dependency for the sake of the gospel. We can't rewrite that. I said we can't rewrite that. We have been chosen for a curse. We have been separated for a purpose. And every one of us here, you have been chosen to shine the light of God's word in your school, in your compound, in your community. You must not be ashamed of your consecration. Even if you have to use an old phone that you can barely see, and all your friends that are sleeping with guys are using the next, the newer iPhone, you must not be ashamed of your consecration. Hallelujah. I'll tell you the truth. I have friends who are my age. Who have gone into work, who, are, who are working in good companies who can earn maybe six times what I'm earning in a month. See, but really that doesn't bother me. We are chosen for different purposes. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You know, sometimes I go into nations and I see people come to me and say, Thank you for the message you taught last year. It changed my life. Whatever, whatever they do for people, they cannot do that for them. What we are transmitting to the nations is of eternal substance. We are changing people's life. We are building up God's holy temple. We are building men to become a habitation of God. We are teaching men the reality of God. After all is done, this is what will be left. The gospel. Hallelujah. You know, I told one person, <laughs> I told one person the other day, I read it and it blessed my life. See, God had only one son and he made him a preacher. Even though he was a carpenter, a time came, that season was over and he started preaching the gospel for three and a half years, walking the streets of Galilee and sharing with them the good news of the gospel. Jesus was not ashamed of his father. Let's read the next scripture. This woman gave her all, radically committed. And you know the people that were 
that were, that were, that, were, that almost embarrassed her were the disciples. You know, sometimes when you begin to increase your consecration to God, his fellow believers that tell you it's okay, it's okay, it's not like that. Don't rush. No, you are giving too much. You are praying too much. It's not by how long you pray. It's not. You know, when you begin to rise up the level of your commitment, you see fellow believers who begin to tamper you down. You want to be committed to God, they'll point to you a pastor who slept with a girl and say, ah, even if that man of God cannot hold himself, who are you? I'm your pastor. I hold myself by the strictest of standards. But listen to me. I'm not your standard. Jesus is. Even if I fall, you continue the race. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The day I stop imitating Christ, you stop imitating me. Our goal is Christ. So even if a pastor divorces, is not a criteria for you to pull out of your marriage. Even if a pastor sleeps with someone, which he shouldn't do, it's not a criteria to say, oh, even if a pastor cannot hold himself, who am I? No, you are a son of God. The Holy Ghost is on the inside of you. God is holding you accountable. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Stop using the lives of messed up pastors to give yourself an allowance to commit sin. We are not your standard. Jesus is. Are you still here? A pastor should live right. A pastor should do the right things. But even if he falls, it's not an excuse. We are not growing up to become like our pastor. We're growing up to become like Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for our lives not be in vain. When you are a believer, when you are a believer in Christ, you don't know what God has saved you from. He has saved you from many things. Many things. Many things. Many things. There are many young people like us battling with alcohol today that some of us don't know, even know what it means to be addicted to such things. Battling with all kinds of things. All kinds of vices. Are you still here? Talk to me. Are you still here? Go with me to Luke chapter 9 verse 26. We're going to, we're going to close a bit early today and spend some time to just pray and rededicate ourselves to God. And even if you have fallen short before you heard this message, the mercy of God is available to give you a fresh start, to give you a second start, to give you a second chance, to have a go again at your consecration. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words... Of him shall the son of man be ashamed when he shall come in his glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. It means that some people are going to be ashamed of Jesus. Are we ashamed of Jesus? Are we ashamed of his words? Are we ashamed of the instructions he has given to us? Are we ashamed of the things that God has spoken to us? You know, I told a friend the other day, I said, it doesn't matter the revelation that people have. I will never reduce my giving to the kingdom. In fact, I'm praying and studying book, books right now, finances, and deepening my commitment on understanding the provisions of God because next day I want to increase my giving to the kingdom. We live in a day and an age right now where people are withdrawing their money from church. People, people, are, people, people don't want to give to church. You see, people rather, ah, you know, instead of me to give my tithe to church, I'd rather go and give it to the poor. Many people are withdrawing their finances. 
We are not part of that group. We put our money in the kingdom. Because look at, look at this. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how many poor people you take care of. It doesn't matter how many poor people you feed. If they don't have the gospel, they are not saved. They are not God's children. We are not called to take care of sinners. We are called to preach the gospel. Now we will do that. You know we have a lot of outreaches to the poor. We will do that. But our commitment is first of all. The Bible did not say the poor you have clothes given to them. It didn't say the poor you have food given to them. What did the Bible say? It says the poor have the gospel preached to them. Our first priority to the poor is to get them saved. And for them to become the children of God. It's not the distribution of rice. It's a good thing. We will do that. But you realize that the NGOs, the Bill Gates, the Dangote of this world, they will do that more than us. But they will never preach the gospel. Dangote will never preach the gospel. Bill Gates will never preach the gospel. The church is the only institution authorized and mandated by God for the proclamation of the gospel. We cannot leave it to chance. We must be deliberate about it. We must be deliberate about it. If we don't preach, no one else will preach. The United Nations will never preach the gospel. Echoers will never preach the gospel. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The presidents of the nations will never preach the gospel. The Nigerian Air Force will never preach the gospel. It is only the believers that are there that are mandated for the preaching of the gospel. And we cannot give our mandate out. We cannot try and be good in what they are good at and be bad in what we're supposed to be good at. Our, our mandate is the preaching and the teaching and the healing of the sick. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Come and say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Oh, say it one more time. Say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. We are not ashamed of our consecration. Glory to the name of the Lord. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. For it is the power of God unto salvation. We must not be ashamed of the gospel. We must not be ashamed of the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believe it. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. We must not be ashamed of the gospel. Today many people are ashamed of the gospel. Many people are ashamed to just preach the word of God the way it is. Many people are ashamed of preaching the, the gospel and knowing that the gospel can transform lives. Today you even find a lot of pastors who are more preaching psychology. Preaching psychology. Preaching all kinds of motivational stuff. Because they are ashamed that the gospel is not powerful enough. They feel the gospel is not powerful enough to change lives. Hallelujah. They feel the gospel is not strong enough. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. The gospel can break your addictions. The gospel can break those habits that you're struggling with. The gospel can set you free from everything in your life you think has held you bound. This is not about two steps to freedom. It is about receiving Jesus. And you will realize the desires and the taste for those things are gone away. You see, when when Paul heard the gospel, a terrorist became a preacher. A killer, a murderer became a life-giving individual. That's the power of the gospel. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes. 
This is the message that God has, t- has given to us to take around the world. This is the message. This is the, this is the life. This is the words that he's put in our hearts for the nations. To go where no one will go. To say the things that no one will say. It is the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to the name of the Lord. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. After the, after the, 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 the mighty works proclaimed, written, acted, performed by the heroes of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Time will fail me and begins to mention men and women who have done mighty things for God. It's talking about the heroes of faith. Do you realize that, you know, some of you seated here, you, you know, you realize that the cults that were start, that that were started in our schools were started by people our age. Cults in primary schools, cults in secondary schools, started by young people committing havoc. Look at the androbas they are they are they are they are, they are catching every day. How old are they? Our age mates, vast in evil, and yet we are ashamed to do something for God. We're going to read in history. People like Jonathan Edwards. City Stods. We're going to read in history. How old were they when they initiated revival in Wales? The John Wesleys. The Martin Luthers. How old was City Stod when he went to China? When are we going to grow up to our spiritual responsibility of bringing the gospel? You know, I was telling my pastor friends the other day, I said, let's not be thinking that we're young. Time is going. We have to do more for God. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. You know, sometimes I was telling my wife, I want to do something. He said, ah, you want to do another one? It's almost like there are too many and I feel that it's not enough. Do you realize what I taught you in apostolic um, impacting the city through apostolic church what Paul did in Tyrannos? The Bible says daily Paul was teaching in Tyrannos for two years. Every day the man was teaching. Every day. Monday to Sunday to Sunday. Sunday to Sunday. Sunday to For two years. Glory to God. Look at this. It says go to Hebrews 12 1 now. It talks about the, 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 the heroes of faith. But I want to show you something in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. It says, wherefore sin we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which thought so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Why did I read this verse? Tonight we must all make up our mind. That weight that holds us down. That sin that easily beset us. We must let it go so we can run this race. For we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Those who have gone before us are depending on us. Let me give you the idea. Let me give you the idea. It's like the idea of a relay race. Right? He says because, because in Hebrews chapter 11, the last verse, he said, They without us cannot be made perfect. 
Right. Go to Hebrews chapter 11, the last verse. That's what it says. A day without us cannot be made perfect. Because these people did not inherit the promise. They did not get into the fullness of the promise. They did not get into the fullness of the promise. It's like a relay race. Somebody starts and hands the baton into us. Right? And then you run and run and run and run. Look at it. Say, God having provided some better thing for us. That day without us should not be made perfect. That means whatever Catherine Kuman did, whatever Alexander Doe did, whatever Archbishop Bidhausa did, whatever all those men of faith, city started, all those powerful men of God did, it's not complete without us. It's one family, it's a race. And we cannot take the button and, and throw it away. Like it doesn't matter. So he says, Wherefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside the weight. What's that thing that's pulling you back? For some of us, it might be even social media addiction. What is that scene that's constantly holding on, gripping you? It's time to lay down so we can run this race. Hebrews 12, 1 now. Since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. When he says, let us lay aside, it means that it is your, the act of your will. You decide, I'm going to lay this aside. If you are a runner, you cannot run. Have you seen anybody who is running and then he wore jeans, he wore boots, he wore glasses, he had a backpack. And they say, hey guy, are you ready to run? He says, you know, even before he starts running, you already know this one is going to come last. Why? Because he has so many things in his life. What are those things that are stopping us from praying? What are those things? Who, who are those friends that are keeping us? When you are in the midst of those friends, you cannot, you, cannot, you cannot say the right things. It's time to lay them aside. Hallelujah. God is counting on us. Don't forget, there is a generation coming ahead of us. We must lay the right examples for them. Praise the name of the Lord. It's not in our time that the gospel will be watered down. It's not in our time. You know, Kennedy Hagin says there's a move of the Holy Ghost that will be lost if, if a generation is not taught into it. It's not our time that the power of God will cease. It's not our time that the true gospel will cease. It's not our time that they say, oh, the church was corrupted. Uh, the church will not go into ex- extinct, extinction in our time. Are you following what I'm saying? It's not our time that our children will bypass us and read of revivals that happened before we came. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. One of the things I've told myself, I said, thank God for motivational speakers. Thank God, but I'm going to be contending for the power of God in our, in our meetings. I'm going to be contending for the supernatural. Hallelujah. It, it, like, 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 like Gideon, you're going to be asking, where be the miracles that our father told us? We go back to read history books and we see what God did with men and women. Men and women who didn't even know as much as we have known. And we say, oh God, do it again. I'm reading a book right now by Lauren Cunningham. It's called 
adventures in faith and finance and just showing how how god provided miraculously for those guys to do what uh, what is called youth with a mission read the books of judge muller how he was able to take care of twenty thousand orphans without asking anybody for anything just by prayer and supplication he got millions of dollars to take care of orphans come on that spirit of faith is still on the earth again i said that spirit of faith is still on the earth again through prayers we can tap into the resources of heaven hallelujah once more i mean you you look at the history of revival in nigeria in the 60s into the 70s that produced men like uh, william kumui Archbishop Idahuser, and all of those wonderful generals of god in our society once more the revival must sweep our campuses again once more the revival must get into secondary schools again once more revival must sweep our cities again hallelujah hallelujah i mean you you go on and 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 you know you listen to the story of how Feka started and some secondary school guests came together and began to pray and through them God started that massive organization touching young people all over come on, come on, it's not in our generation that we'll just be starting only companies and financial institutions and businesses no, our generation will taste the revival again, the power of God must flow again in our generation glory to God, we must have some girls who are consecrated to God, are you following what I'm saying? We must have some girls again whose lifestyle is not just going to be the latest fashion. Some girls that will carry the power of God. You know, when you read the, the healing revival, you know the healing revival was not complete without certain women. You read of you read of Catherine Kuhlman, you read of uh, um, um, Maria um, Simbel McPherson, the founder of Four Square Gospel Church, and, and Maria, Ma, Maria Maria Woodward Etta also. Amy Simbel McPherson, Maria Woodward Etta, Catherine Kuhlman. Those three women were like the Amazon of the healing revival, and it was told of of Maria Woodward Etta that she would have what you call stretcher days, and people. In stretcher will be put in a hall and with one word from this woman people will begin to rise up from the group from 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 the stretchers and just begin to walk and these women will pack out stadiums by the healing power of god so we need to raise women again that their life is not just about sex and relationship and emotions and instagram and twitter we need to raise women again who believe in the power of the holy ghost who believe in the healing power of god women that men will go and sit in their meetings and partake of the healing grace hallelujah if you follow church history you will know that Benny Hinn got inspired to move in the healing anointing by attending Ketrin Kuma's meeting you know Ketrin Kuma was not just teaching relationship she was not just teaching how to keep your husband are you following what I'm talking about she was teaching about the power of the Holy Ghost we need more women again who understand the power of the Holy Ghost we need more women again who understand the place of the power of the Holy Spirit in in the nations are you, are you still here with me we need god to move again in our generation and if we're going to do this we must not be ashamed of our consecration can we be on our feet tonight and we're going to cry out to god and say god do it again god do it again god do it again revive your walk in our days Thank you for listening to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would also like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng or call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.